going to start a series called Seven Questions from God's Heart to Yours. Seven Questions from God's Heart to Yours. Because, uh, you know, there are many questions in the Bible. God asks a lot of questions. There are other questions. Um, and the reason is that good teachers ask questions. Uh, we we had uh, 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 just a dear brother here uh, for many, many years. Um, many of you remember Pastor Les Mark, and he was notorious as a teacher for not answering, but asking questions. And he, I think, took some kind of twisted pleasure in watching you struggle through that. But a good teacher asks questions. Um, good questions create self-examination, self-create study of the inside causes us to maybe even lead us to, to be inspired to change. Um, questions are meant to arrest us, to stop us. You think of a of a toddler who's remember ever seen like a two year old who's going for something and then you say, What are you doing? Nothing. Right? That question is meant to stop them. Or if someone were you know, if you're in the parking lot and someone's kind of uh like looking into your car or something, what would you say? You say, uh, can I help you? Questions are meant to stop us, to get us to pause and think, what am I doing? What's going on here? And so in this series, we're going to take seven questions from God's heart, from Scripture, three from the Old Testament and four from the New Testament over the next seven weeks, questions that God is asking of us. Now, there are, we're obviously not going to get to, there are many questions we're not going to cover. One of the, you know, early questions is, is in Genesis in the first part of Genesis the first couple Adam and Eve are in the garden they've sinned and in their sin they're suddenly aware of their their own nakedness and so they hide and what's God's question Adam where are you why are you hiding and it's meant to to uh, for us to explore the nature of of what shame does to us and and how we want to hide away from the truth of what's going on or later you you might remember a, a guy named Moses God's calling Moses to to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt, the Israelite people, back to the promised land. And, and, and Moses is trying to get out of this assignment. He doesn't want to do this. And, and God is kind of inviting him into this. And then finally he says, Moses, what do you have in your hand? And he's, he has a staff. And he throws it down. And God uses that moment to show, look, I can work with whatever you have in your hand, whatever talents or abilities you have or feel you don't have. God can use those. So God asks these questions to get us to follow him, to correct and, and adjust our behavior. The devil asks questions as well. In fact, this series is not really from, but kind of inspired by a guy named, a book written by a guy named Pastor Doug Rumford. Some of you might remember Douglas Rumford from First Presbyterian years ago. And he wrote a book called Questions God Asks, Questions Satan Asks. One of the very first questions in Scripture is a question the devil asks. Eve, uh, the first woman, and she's admiring the fruit of this tree that, G, that God had said not to, not to touch, not to eat, right? And, and, and she's admiring the, this beautiful fruit. And the devil, as the servant comes and says, do you remember what the devil says? Did God really say? Right. The devil's questions come as an accusation. Are you really going to be dumb enough to believe that? Right? Are you really going to raise your hands in worship today? Are you really going to give money to that? Right? He asks these questions to get us to doubt ourselves, to, to avoid the truth. If I were to put it this way, 
I've got a slide that says this, that the devil's questions are always for our destruction. God's questions are always for our correction. You could say maybe instruction, but particularly for our correction. The devil asks questions to get you off the track, to get you to doubt God, to, to run away from the truth. God asks you questions to get you back on the trail, back on the path. Stop what you're doing and head in the right direction. And that's what we're going to see today in this first question that we're going to look at. And we have a choice. We have a decision. Anytime God addresses you with a question, whether it's in a scripture or whether he puts that as an impression on your spirit, are you going to be offended by God's questions and rebel and resist? Or are you going to say, hey, this is for my good. This is for my correction. This is meant to help me. The question today is, why are you angry? Why are you angry? Now, um, you and I might think, well, this doesn't really apply to me, but let's look at it and see if it does. So um, we're going to look at Genesis chapter four. Genesis is the first book in the Bible, fourth chapter in. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Genesis chapter four. We're going to read verses one through twelve. Genesis chapter 4, we've come through the creation, we've come through this, the fall of, of humankind, and now we get to kind of the first human family. And Genesis chapter 4, starting at verse 1, says this, Now Adam had sexual relations with his wife, Eve, and she became pregnant. And when she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. And later she gave birth to his brother, and named him Abel. So Cain's the older brother. Abel's the younger brother. And when they grew up, Abel became a shepherd while Cain cultivated the ground. And when it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. And the Lord accepted Abel and his gift. But he did not accept Cain and his gift. And this made Cain very angry and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain. Why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. Verse 8 says this. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, Hey, let's go into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. And afterward, the Lord asked Cain, there's another one of these questions. There's already been numerous questions in this passage, hasn't there? Verse 9, afterward, the Lord asked Cain, where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know. Cain replied, am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, what, what have you done? It's another good question. Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now, you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. We thank the Lord for his word. Let's be seated together. Like I said, there are several questions in this passage, but the one we want to focus in on is this question. Why are you angry? Why are you angry? There at verse 6. Now, you might, as I said, you might feel like, well, I'm not angry. This doesn't really apply to me. I don't really think I need to be here or listen or whatever. But I, I will say uh, I feel that way, too, except I have to be honest. 
that there are times in my life when there is almost like uh, like a rumbling level of anger uh, and it's damaging. But I don't call it anger and you don't either. We have nice euphemisms. We say, I'm frustrated. I'm annoyed. Oh, I'm just kind of ticked off right now. You know, we have those things. Maybe in traffic, you're one of those people who isn't angry, but you do let the other drivers know your displeasure. There's various ways you can do that. Right? Or even depression. Some people say that depression is really anger turned inward. Uh, I don't presume to fully understand that, but did you notice how when God asks, why are you angry? Why are you so downcast? Why are you, uh, basically, why are you depressed? Anger and, and depression, least despondency, he calls them dejected, they often are very close together, very paralleled together. And um, so I think if we're honest, maybe at some point we have all struggled in some way with some version of anger, even if we don't use that word. Now, Cain never did answer God's questions. He doesn't answer. It's kind of a one-sided conversation because if he would have, it would have helped him to see his own life, to assess what was going on in his own soul, and he would have made some necessary corrections. Like, whoa, yeah, I guess I am kind of angry. Man, I got it. This is not good for me. Last week, our, our guest speaker was... Uh, just, we had a great time with, with Pastor Justin and and in those those of you who were in the 11 o'clock service last week saw me. He, he talked about this in terms of um, sometimes we carry around unforgiveness and it, it it weighs us down like putting heavy rocks into a backpack. And uh, then that's too heavy. And so we start taking that that unforgiveness and bitterness and it's anger and we start hurling it at other people and it does a lot of damage. That's kind of what can happen in our life. Cain did not address his anger issues. Anger, however, was not Cain's sin. He wasn't, the anger wasn't the sin. Anger is what led him to sin. It's what led him into it. Right? Anger leads people to do all kinds of crazy things. It leads to an, an escape in some ways. We don't want to deal with it, so we escape into addictions. People get addicted to alcohol or pornography or prescription medications because there there's some angry anger there or anger will lead us to be demanding and unkind i i've seen posts on facebook and people will just respond in angry hateful ways and you think whoa, whoa whoa what's going on here sometimes the most angry people are the ones that are angry that everybody's angry and you think dude you need to look in a mirror right anger leads us to to spend money we don't have. Again, it's part of that escape. Trying to keep up with others. It leads us to do things and say things that regret. And that's why God's corrective questions are such a blessing to us. It's not hard to see the difference between these two brothers. Cain was, in a sense, going through the motions. just sort of mailing it in, spiritually speaking. While Abel had faith. That's really the difference in their offerings and let me show you this too. offerings were different and one was unacceptable but what made the difference was their hearts because if you we got on screen here hebrews chapter 11 hebrews chapter 11 is this chapter sometimes called the hall of faith lists 
uh, the, you know, the great people of Scripture and the great faith they had. And, and Abel is listed in that list, even though we never we have no speeches from him. We never know sort of great exploits from Abel. All we know about Abel is he's the brother that was murdered. But look what Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his examples of faith. Cain did not have faith, but Abel did. And that's what made his offering acceptable to God. Now, how they knew to make offerings at all is a mystery to us. We don't we don't know. There's, you know, the first part of Genesis does not fill in all the gaps for us. But I think at some point, I'm pretty certain that at some point, every person grapples with this question of, is God real? How do I respond to God? Should I, should I do something to kind of reconcile to God as however I understand him to be? I think people do that. And some people avoid that question. They think about it and they, they run the other direction. But at some point, we all get to that place of grappling with, how do I relate to God? Now, we know from the rest of Scripture that an offering for sin has to be a blood offering. It's life for life, blood for blood. That's why in, in, the, in the law, we learn that God instituted a system of lambs and bulls and blood was shed for the covering of blood. And that's why Jesus is called the sacrificial lamb, the lamb that was slain because his blood is what pays for your sin. We just celebrated it in communion today. Those little tiny cups of grape juice are meant to symbolize or represent the blood of Christ that was poured out to exchange his life for your life. That's the message of the gospel. Well, Abel did that kind of sacrifice, but Cain did not. Excuse me. But I want you to notice kind of the nature or the attitude of these offerings as well. Cain, it says, uh, you know, verse um, 3 says, It was time for harvest. Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. You know what that tells me? It's just kind of a minimal effort. Some of his crops. doesn't say the best of his crops. doesn't say the first of his crops. doesn't say the choicest crops. It just says some of his crops. Yeah, he brought some stuff. Here you go, God. How's this? You know, it wasn't a tithe. It wasn't like the top part. It was something, but there wasn't a lot of personal investment or personal cost or personal sacrifice in that. But then what does it say about Abel? It carries on then in verse 4. Abel also brought a gift. The best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Yours might say the fat of those lambs. Consider the, the best portions of the firstborn of his flock. Abel didn't say, well, God, I really need, you know, it's payday, Lord. And I, I really need to get these first lambs uh, taken care of. And so uh, I'll, I'll give you the next ones. They'll probably be just as good. You know. No, he gave the very best. Personal sacrifice, personal investment, costly gift. His act of worship was costing him something. It came from like, oh man, this is going to hurt a little bit. Okay, Lord, here you go. That's what it means to bring the best and the first. And that's the difference in their offerings. One was, it was okay. The other one was costly, valuable. And that's, now we have the moment where Cain's anger starts. Cain's comparing himself to Abel and the acceptance Abel received from God 
rather than really measuring the two gifts. Well, why was Abel's gift better? So he's looking at Abel and he's saying, hey, this isn't fair. And he should have been measuring himself by God's standards, not by his brother. And if you're taking notes today, a few things you can write down. This one be this. Comparison creates crisis. They were com- he was comparing himself to his brother and comparison creates crisis. What do I mean by that? Well, we look at the person with a newer car or the nicer husband or the bigger bank account or the better kids or the more um, successful job or the more beautiful house. And what happens? We get kind of jealous. We think, man, I, I wish I had that. And jealousy is just another one of those kind of nice words for anger. Honestly, I'm not angry. I'm just I'm just a little jealous. The other couple nights ago, um, I was looking on, on Facebook and I and I showed my wife, hey, you remember remember this couple? Their names are Justin and Kathy, and we knew them twenty plus years ago. And and I said, look look at look at Kathy and her daughter. They they look the same age. Her daughter's twenty, you know. And I said, Justin hasn't aged a bit. Look at him. He's got all that hair on his head. None of it's gray. I was like, man. And she said, are you jealous? And I said, well, little. Look at him. And she goes, should you maybe not be on Facebook? I said, maybe not. Right? Jealousy. It's crazy. Lots of bad things can happen when we start comparing ourselves to others. But let me suggest three kind of big pitfalls That happened in comparison. One is pride. Now that's when you compare yourself to someone else and you, you like, you kind of, you're kind of looking down on them. Well, at least I'm not like so and so. You know, I know I haven't got it all together, but at least I'm not like that person over there. That's the comparison that leads to pride. Well, you know, it's just like, it's like the student who's, who's got a D in the class and say, well, at least I don't have an F. So and so has an F. Well, yeah, but you you really need to do better than a D. Um, isn't that funny? There's no letter E. It's like D and then fail. Like I, I don't know. That seems that seems kind of harsh to me. But anyway, um, so that's pride. Another comparison, another thing that comes out of comparison is disappointment. That's not so much the the pride of jealousy, but it's just the disappointment of like, man, I thought I would have it more together by now. I. I thought I'd be a little further in my career by now. I, I thought I'd be more like my sister. I thought I'd be more like my brother. I, I just thought it'd be better than this. And that's kind of tied into that, that despondency or that dejectedness or even depression. Just like, man, I'm just, I'm just disappointed. Again, kind of a version of anger in that. And then another one, which would be even worse, I would say another pitfall is discontentment. That's where you look around, you compare yourself to others, and you say, well, this isn't fair. This isn't fair at all. I mean, everybody else is that, and I'm here all by myself, and I got nothing. Boy, so-and-so, you know, we went to school at the same time, and, and look how successful they are, and I'm not. That's not fair. I'm discontent. I'm unhappy with my life as I compare to that person over there, that person over there. Those are terrible things that happen, and that's all part of that anger. When we're, but it comes because we're comparing ourselves to others instead of looking at our identity in Christ. Comparing ourselves to who God is, who God says we are in Him, 
you know, how God has called and equipped us, what God is leading us through. We're not looking at what God desires of us. We're not looking at how he's called us, how he's leading us, how he's shaping us, how he's providing for us in the midst of troubled times, how he's, how he's inviting us to depend on him. Comparison creates crisis. And, and uh, we have to be, resist that urge to compare ourselves to others and say, God, what are you saying to me? What are you calling me into? How are you using this hard time in my life to, to shape me and mold me and lead me into something productive? Um, of course, comparison has funny moments, too. It's not all negative. Uh, last week, you, you heard um, Pastor Justin speak, and I think at some point in the message, he, he mentioned, he says, I, I was really a, an athlete, and I, I know I don't look like it now, and I need to get in shape. So, well, Sunday afternoon, I took him to see the sequoias in Kings Canyon, and I took a picture of him beside right, you know, one of the nice sequoia trees, and he looked at the picture, and he said, oh, maybe I don't need to lose weight after all. <laughs> right? It's like the saying, it's like, I don't need to lose weight. I just need to get bigger friends. I mean, you know, comparison can kind of work in your favor sometimes. It, it, that's how it works. But listen, we got to be just really careful. Because if Cain had really known and trusted God, he would have wanted to do the right thing. If his heart was in the right direction, he would have desired to say, like, oh, God, you're right. Why am I angry? What is going on with me right now? Thank you, Lord, for stopping me, for correcting me. But he didn't have a relationship with God. So there was no desire to do the right thing. And, 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 uh, and none of us are sinless. None of us are, you know, are, are beyond making mistakes. But how we respond to God's probing questions of grace indicates where our heart is at. When you get kind of nudged by God or nudged in a situation, uh, how you respond really tells what's in your heart. Now, I want us to want you to notice here that, that Cain is invited by God to do the right thing, but God is not going to bargain with Cain and say, well, let's meet halfway. No, because here's what I want you to write down. Salvation is not negotiation. Salvation is not negotiation. Uh, you know, I had a couple of amazing conversations this week when I was uh, traveling up to see my, my parents and I was, I was talking to this guy who kind of looked like me, middle-aged, white guy. And um, he said, well, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a practicing Buddhist. And I said, well, what does that mean? How do you practice being a Buddhist? So we talked about that a little bit. And, and uh, he said, well, I, I, he said, well, I don't do that. I, I do this part of it. And I, I don't really do that, but I do this part. He said, honestly, it's just kind of, I'm kind of selfish. I just do the parts that work for me. Well, it's honest, I guess. What he's doing is he's negotiating, saying, I'm going to do salvation on my terms. And I like this and this and this, but I don't really want to do that. So this is what I'm going to set the standard for what's good enough. He's negotiating. Somehow he thinks he's negotiating a salvation of some kind. And uh, you've all heard that. Someone who says, well, uh, you know, I'm. I think God will accept me because I'm a pretty good person. You know, I try not to hurt anybody and I, I think God will accept me for that. That's negotiating with God rather than recognizing that there's a standard, right? We, we know in Scripture it says that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. What does it mean to fall short of the glory of God? It means you can't get into God's glory unless someone fixes that problem. And that's what Jesus has accomplished. There's a standard that we have to Meet And we can't meet it on our own, so God did that on our behalf through Jesus. That's the gospel. 
That's the message of the gospel. And it's remarkable, really, that we'll accept authority in other areas of our lives, but not in our spiritual life. You Imagine a college class where every student um, makes up the exam and then grades their own exam. And like, wow, everybody in the class got an A. How did that happen? They don't know anything. Uh, we would say that's ridiculous. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. And uh, you, you might have one or two honest students there who might give themselves a B. But imagine that we said, oh, yeah, you just set your own authority. You set your own grades. You just do that. No, we'd say that's, that's dumb. There, a college student sits in class and, and learns and, and says, boy, I've got to learn to meet the standard. I have to measure up to what the authority says is an acceptable standard of, of education in this class. Well, it's similar in our relationship with God. We, we don't set the standard. God has done that. But Cain expected to be able to do things his own way, set his own standards, de- define how the sacrifice should go, and then he's angry at God and angry at his brother when it was not acceptable. It's amazing. Now you think, well, that's, that's for them. I, I don't really understand how this applies to me. Well, let's talk about some ways that we maybe do that in our own lives. Maybe we say something like this, God, I've, I've been to church all these years, and I, I even tithed, and I've been, I served in Awana, and I went to Bible study, and now I have, what? Financial problems. Or God, now I have cancer. Or now I'm alone. Or, I'm, now my kids won't talk to me. Or now I have relationship problems with my spouse. Or whatever it is. And we, we, we fall into this, this, this thing where, we, where we, we're trying to negotiate with God. But yeah, God, I did all these things for you and you didn't come through for me. As though God was like kind of bargaining with us for something. I, I have this not to... Oh, we'll have to carry on. I'll have to tell you that story another time. Sorry. Look, and it's not that God focuses on Cain's sin. I want you to notice that God came to Cain and said, if you do the right thing, you will be accepted. God did not say, you are such a hopeless sinner and you are so done for. No, God starts with the offer of grace. That's how God works. And he recognized that we're already sinners and we're already likely to mess up and fail. He simply invites us to do what is right. It's called repentance where we say, God, I'm going to turn from my own way and do things your way. So that even when I am wrong, even when I am in sin, I'll recognize, God, I want to do my heart's desire is to do things your way. Back to that question. It's, It's why are you angry? Because if that's you. Are you willing to answer that question? Right? And if you're not sure, you might ask your spouse or someone in your family or someone in your household, do you seem angry to you? Right? Or upset or frustrated or depressed, whatever other word you want to include in that. Because anger is a product, here's the thing, anger is a product of unmet expectations. I wanted this and I didn't get it and now I'm mad. I wanted this, I didn't get it, and now I'm mad. God, I prayed and you didn't answer and now I'm mad. I, 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 I talked to this person and they didn't respond. Now I'm mad. That's unmet expectations are what lead to our anger. And so you didn't get what you expected of God or your spouse or your parents 
right? Or your boss or your pastor, right? And, and, and that's going to lead to anger unless, unless you're willing to dig into that relationship with God. Say, God, what's going on here? Right? Dig into that relationship with God. Let him talk to you. And uh, if you don't, you're going to be angry or, or you might escape your anger into an addiction of some kind or a distraction of some time. So you just keep your life so busy and so full. The TV's on all the time and you never let God speak to you. And if you're not escaping, you might then turn to some kind of emotional revenge or I hope not like Cain, physical revenge against his brother, against God. I'm asking you to listen to the voice of God. He wants to deliver you from anger. I know we're out of time, but I just got to give you one more thing. God is doing something important for Cain. He's inviting him to a change of heart. Grace invites a change of heart. Grace invites a change of heart. That's how it works. God's questions probe into us. They poke into our life so that we'll be honest with ourselves and we'll be honest with others. God didn't really need the sacrifice. God wanted Cain's heart. He wanted his trust. He wanted his faith. Verse 7 says, You will be accepted if you do what is right. There was still time to get it right. Time to choose. But trouble, danger was at the door. It's like we, we dealt with this verse a couple weeks ago on screen there. It says, First Peter 5, 8. Remember this one? Remember the, remember the lion pouncing on the little calf? Right, sailor, watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Nothing has changed. That's still how the devil operates. He still comes to steal and kill and destroy. He wants to take your life or take your joy or take your satisfaction or take your relationships. He wants to take, 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 steal, 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 destroy, destroy, destroy. That's how he works. And if he can get you to live in that world of comparison to others, wallowing in disappointment over unmet expectations, blaming your spouse, blaming your parents, blaming, blaming, blaming... Right? Blaming God Himself, the devil can keep you from joy and freedom. And as, as, as we've been challenged, is to, as I mentioned, leaving those bitter rocks of unforgiveness behind. And, and, hurt, and, and you'll end up, if you don't get this right, you're going to hurt other people, not just yourself. Like Cain did, because they took his brother's life. Cain had a choice. Even though he, he rejected God's standards of salvation, he rejected God's offer of grace. He, he embraced his own solution of murder. He had a choice. He needed to stop bringing his selfish, angry um, way of doing things. And he needed to turn and do the right thing. Soften his heart. Bring an acceptable offering. Be in relationship with his brother. Oh, why didn't he say, Abel, how, show me how to do that. How do, you, how do you do that proper offering thing? Cain didn't really want a relationship with God. He just wanted to do enough to get by. Look, if you recognize in your own life that there's some anger going on, frustration, whatever word you want to use, first of all, just be honest about it. Just admit it. Tell God your disappointments. God, I'm, I'm, I'm mad. Tell Him. Let Him know. Recognize you can't solve it. You can't fix this without God's grace. Say, God, I just release my need to be right all the time. I just release the need to have my own way all the time. And I just receive your grace today. And then replace your wrong attitudes with right actions. Something as simple as when you gather in, in church on a Sunday morning, if you recognize, man, this is, a, this is a problem area for me, 
You know, the, one of the greatest things is to just join in when we sing together, when we worship. You just sing. You say, I don't really know the song. I don't even really like the song, but I'm going to sing it anyway because this song is that I'm lifting up to God. I don't really know the tune. Well, I'm going to read those words and I'm going to say those words out to God. I don't care how you do it, but you're being invited to say, God, I want to bring a good offering of worship to you like Abel did. Because Abel's faith is what, even now we look at Hebrews 11, he's a hero of faith based on his offering of faith. And I'm just inviting you, when you come to, God, to, to, the, to the house of the Lord, just say, God, I don't, I don't really know how to do this, but I'm just going to worship you. I I don't really feel like this is my style. Who cares? God, I'm just going to worship you. Or open your Bible through the week and say, God, I don't really understand. I don't even know how to read this, but I'm going to start. Maybe one psalm at a time or one chapter at a time and just say, God, I'm going to do the little bit that I can. Replace those wrong attitudes with right actions. And then, lastly, just to tell you, you know, you may or not, may or may not realize that that acceptable sacrifice, like I talked about Jesus' death on the cross, you may not realize that acceptable sacrifice has already been accomplished. It's what we celebrated in communion today. By trusting in Jesus Christ, the forgiveness for your sin has already been achieved. It's up to you to receive it. Say, Jesus, I recognize I'm, I'm a sinner. And I receive your forgiveness today. And I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do things your way. I'm going to bring my life to you. An amazing thing happens. We bring our life to Him. And in, in, in exchange, He gives His life to us. <laughs> Best deal ever. Best deal ever. If you've never done that, I invite you to say, today's the day. Today's the day. Let's bow our heads as we close in prayer. God, we are just... I just can't believe this guy would have killed his brother over a sacrifice. Over just this thing. Lord, how could it be? And yet, all that comparison, all that bargaining with you led to this deep anger. God, I don't want to be like that. I don't want any of my friends to be like that. We do not want to be that, that person. God, I'm just asking you to speak those questions to every heart today that's just kind of knotted up with anger. God, would you speak those questions to us? And give us the courage to respond to you and to receive your grace in exchange. Lord, I just, I just thank you for your word. And church, as you're going through your week today, I just invite you to be testing. Am I angry? Am I frustrated? Am I bargaining with God? If that's the case, just bring it to him as you go through the week. If you're somebody who's never given your life to Christ or maybe you feel like you've drifted far away and you want to get back on the path with him. Today would be a great day to say, Jesus, forgive me of my sin. I choose to follow you. Thank you for giving me new life. And if that's you, if you're making that decision today to give your life to Christ, you've got to tell somebody so we can help you kind of seal it, lock it in. God, we're so grateful for the way you're at work. God, would you use us to be agents of peace and reconciliation in your world this week? We need it so badly. Use us, Lord, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.